We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture and pop culture through the lens of Judaism. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today, we got ourselves the golden ticket. Oompa loompa doompa doo We are talking Wonka, the new movie starring Timothy Chalamet. Uh, and it is a prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, really to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. To the It's a prequel to the Gene Wilder movie, a prequel to the 1964 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, novel by uh, Roald Dahl, um, the anti-Semite, which we'll talk about later. But Mike, why don't you start us off and telling us how you spent your family's winter break seeing Wonka just as I did, just as right. most of the world did. That's right. So uh, uh, Wonka, as you said, uh, is um, an adaptation of the uh, Roald Dahl novel, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, which was turned into uh, the uh, first the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory uh, starring Gene Wilder, uh, and then later adapted uh, by Tim Burton into uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory starring uh, Johnny Depp as the as uh, as as Willy Wonka. Um, this movie and that became since- a Broadway musical. The, char- the the Johnny Depp version? Uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as a whole, the, the story. How about that? Um, so uh, the uh, uh, this movie uh, seems to me to uh, effectively pretend that the uh, Tim Burton version uh, does not exist, was never made. And you are right that it does uh, uh, allude to and, uh, and and do a lot to nod to the Gene Wilder version. Uh, it uh, is uh, set up uh, essentially as a prequel of sorts to that. It's not quite, they certainly have a through line uh, to that movie, um, although it's not quite clear in my view that it is uh, um, that, that it's intended directly to be a prequel to that movie other than staring obvious connective uh, tissue between the two. But anyway, it is an origin story of sorts for uh, Willy Wonka, uh, which we don't get in the Gene Wilder version. Uh, We do get in the Johnny Depp version. The Johnny Depp version uh, explores uh, uh, or imagines some of Willy Wonka's backstory. Uh, This movie also explores Willy Wonka's backstory, but uh, does so in a a substantially different way uh, than the Johnny Depp version. Uh, This imagines Willy Wonka... Uh, being uh, an, an orphan of a uh, a mother who uh, um, didn't have a lot uh, of resources, uh, but um, uh, uh, gave him all of her love um, and taught him how to make chocolate. Um, and he uh, set out to become a world famous uh, chocolatier, um, uh, goes with you know, 10 silver pieces in his pocket uh, to a new country to uh, start his own uh, chocolate business, his own uh, chocolate shop uh, in honor of his uh, of his mother's memory. Uh, but when he gets there, he loses all of his money pretty quickly in the first few minutes of the movie. A uh, really clever device um, gets 
um, uh, exploited by a, a couple of innkeepers uh, who uh, have him trick him into signing a uh, contract that he uh, does not read or is unable to read. Uh, we learn later that he is uh, illiterate. Uh, and uh, becomes uh, essentially indentured uh, in their employ. Right. It's a case of indentured servitude. It's essentially what is sort of modern day human trafficking, um, right? It's it's what we see in the agricultural fields in this country. Um, those who, who uh, only may have a work visa or something like that and are forced to um, work rigorous hours for little to no pay um, for employers. We see that in the tomato fields in Florida, especially. Um, and without that, uh, they have no place to live. They have no income when they're sent back to the, their countries. So it's forced labor is what uh, Wonka is, is is forced to do. Right, exactly. And uh, we, we find out uh, a little bit later that uh, he is not the first person that these uh, innkeepers have, uh, have, have have tricked and exploited in, in this way. They have a whole sweatshop uh, in the in, in the bowels of their inn uh, that uh, uh, they rule with an iron fist and, and prevent uh, uh, leaving. But Wonka, uh, through uh, some ingenuity and uh, friendships with uh, the uh, clever uh, inmates of this inn, uh, figures out how to uh, get his chocolate uh, to market, uh, make the money uh, to secure his uh, freedom uh, and his uh, fellow uh, inmates' freedom uh, and to uh, make his chocolate shop. Uh, however, there is a chocolate cartel uh, in this uh, city uh, led by uh, the infamous villain Slugworth, uh, who is, uh, uh, of course, uh, a major feature in the uh, other uh, Wonka pictures and in the... Uh, think uh, in like the think like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg of the right. chocolate world. Right, exactly. Uh, and they do not want a competitor. They have done everything they can to effectively uh, stifle all competition in the chocolate business uh, to, uh, to to make it impossible to sell chocolate or to have a chocolate shop in their town. Um, and uh, and also to, uh, to dilute the product that they are selling to maximize their own profits, all while uh, buying off essentially the police to make sure that they get away with it. Uh, they uh, um, do everything they can to stop Wonka from selling his chocolates. Uh, they uh, uh, end up uh, sabotaging uh, his chocolate shop that he creates, uh, forcing him uh, into uh, exile, uh, attempting to uh, murder him. Uh, but uh, he ends up being able to uh, to avoid, uh, to escape the fate that the cartel has due to him uh, and uh, to Ocean Eleven style uh, steal the evidence uh, that will bring the cartel down. Uh, he does that with the help of his uh, uh, indentured servant friends, um, securing their freedom, uh, securing justice uh, for the wronged and delivering justice to uh, the, uh, the the uh, abusers uh, and, uh, and uh, essentially securing a happy ending for all. Um, so that's, uh, and, and we sort of leave there with him creating uh, the infamous uh, chocolate factory uh, that will become featured in uh, in the book and in the movie versions uh, of the uh, of uh, movie adaptations of the book. Um, so let's let's just start there. Jesse, what did you think and what did your family think of Wonka when you saw it? Kids loved it. My six-year-old thought it was hysterical. Um, I thought it was fine. Um, I thought... 
Timothy Chalamet did a very good impression of what a young Gene Wilder playing Willy Wonka would be. And that's really why I think that this movie was uh, meant to be a prequel to that film. Um, I thought Keegan-Michael Key was great. Uh, great, great role uh, as the ever-growing, uh, both uh, in corruption and in waist size uh, police chief. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting film. Um, putting aside again, Rodal's uh, anti-Semitism for, for a second, uh, I read an article that he was very critical of the Gene Wilder film because that film uh, tended to highlight Willy Wonka as the main character. And in his book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's actually Charlie that's meant to be the main character, right? It's, it's meant to be the, this poor child of a working class family um, who uh, ends up succeeding and becoming the heir to this chocolate kingdom. Um, and Willy Wonka who is meant to be mysterious and silly and odd, but he's also uh, represents the worst of capitalism, according to, to the book. Um, in this prequel, the writers created a similar story, right? That Wonka is essentially Charlie in this story. Um, and so that Wonka becomes the, the successful businessman and the same way that Charlie ends up doing when he takes over um, Willy Wonka's chocolate empire eventually. And so I appreciated that. Um, I thought there was silliness for silliness sake that the kids really liked. Uh, I thought Hugh Grant was great. Um, as as the little uh, green and orange man, um, I thought uh, I did not realize it was a musical, but I should have because Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, you forget that the Gene Wilder film was a musical, um, and uh, Timothy Chalamet is very musically talented. I, I thought it was a fun story. It goes back to what we've often talked about on this podcast. Uh, when there are reimaginations of IP, you know, was this necessary? You know, did we need to have a prequel to the Willy Wonka story? Did it add anything? I, I think it added something for Warner Brothers because uh, it made a boatload of money during the holiday season. I think it was the only film that did. Um, and it's clear that this is going to set up future Wonka films that will eventually lead like a prequel trilogy that will culminate into why he becomes this recluse uh, that uh, ends up giving away his, you know, this golden tickets and giving away his empire. So this is setting up clearly for sequels to come. Yeah. You know, I, so my family loved it uh, and I loved it. I, you know, I was enchanted the whole thing. I actually went in uh Similar to how you're describing Jesse, thinking, okay, you know, this is uh, a, a a blatant attempt to wring out profit from a stale piece of IP um, that has been, you know, adapted to death already, and this is not a necessary story to tell. Um, and I was enchanted for the the whole time. I loved it top to bottom. <laughs> it, it ended, and I turned to turned to my wife and I say, "The movies are back." Um, because it just, it just really just, uh, uh stirred the soul. It was great. Well, really well Nicole Kidman does that for me every time at the beginning of an AMC <laughs> film. So I know the movies are back because the movies Nicole are Kidman back. tells me, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, 
I thought I thought uh, uh, Timothy Ch- Chalamet uh, had a had a great performance. I thought that the uh, the, the uh, set design was lovely. I thought that the music was uh, was was catchy and fun. I actually, you know, I I was not I I thought it was an interesting choice to have Hugh Grant as uh, as the Oompa Loompa. Um, I, uh, I I I thought it was you know it, it garnered a chuckle uh, or two. Uh, it was a sort of nice uh, contrast and fun role for him to play. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not positive that that totally worked for me, uh, if I'm being honest. But uh, overall, I, I really love the movie, and I this is how I often feel about the you know the question that that you frequently bring up, Jesse, which is I think a fair one about you know wh- whether we need this. Um, I, I'm not. I, I'm sort of uh, of the mind that we don't need any of these movies. We don't need any story. I mean, stories are 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 unnecessary except for in the greater kind of human sense that we need stories. So the question is, you know, does does this have a story to tell? And I think it does for a couple of reasons. The first is, um, as you as as you note, you know the uh, Charlie, the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder movie, they drop us into Willy uh, Wonka's world um, without us really kind of understanding what it is that makes this character tick. And there are reasons why it does that. Like you said, right? That movie is really about Charlie, um, and it's about um, uh, it, it's about. Uh, overcoming uh, the temptations of, uh, and, and greed of capitalism uh, in order to do something more more pure and, and wholesome. Uh, Gene Wilder uh, plays a, a, a crazy person, right? And we, well, we, we I, I don't know like like I, I don't mean that is, in a bad way, but but he he is goofy. There's, there's, I don't know if he's crazy. Uh, that that I think is a really that's a complicated and, and challenging part. That's why I think there there is room to explore the backstory because we don't quite know what's going on in Willy Wonka's head in the course of that movie. There is a darkness there for sure. Um, He doesn't seem to be insane or as Timothy Chalamet says in this, completely insane, totally nutty. Um, uh, But but there certainly are glimmers of insanity in it or at least um, uh, um, intimations of uh, of of insanity, at least he, he appears to the outside uh, to be off his rocker a little bit in uh, in that movie. But I don't think we're led to believe that he's actually an insane person in that movie. I think he's deliberate and purposeful in what he's trying to accomplish uh, in that movie, as crazy and as deranged and as dark as his plan is. Th- this movie, I think. Uh, sands off some of those edges. So Wonka is not dark at all in this movie. Um, do we get glimmers of how he could become that? Maybe because he has been, uh, you could see how he might become eventually jaded uh, by the world in which he is trying to be pure and good and operate and see time and again how the system is perpetually rigged to work against people like that and how um, it's hard to be a, 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 a good person in a weary world as, as uh, uh, he put, as Gene Wilder's character puts it uh, in the, in the seventies movie. Um, so I, I, I thought that this movie had an interesting story to tell about how, uh, how that Wonka becomes that Wonka um, that I think was better than how uh Tim Burton's version tries to set that up in the course of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie uh, there. There, I think, 
Wonka is presented as much more off his rocker um, and much more uh, um, deranged because of childhood abuse that he's trying to then impose on these other children. So that version was much darker. And I think it well, had it's a very compelling to make. Right. They had a compelling case to make for, you know, a darker Wonka. This has a compelling case to make for a lighter Wonka that has a dark side to him that maybe we start to see glimmers of, but this was not really interested in showing a dark Wonka at all. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, I think what this movie does, and this is the positive, right? It instills in children again the importance of dreaming big, right? And in adults, right? The importance of, of believing that your dreams can come true and nothing is going to stop that from happening, right? There's a great scene when he opens up the ch chocolate shop uh, and it looks like an early version of his magical chocolate factory that we see in the Gene Wilder film with the chocolate waterfall and the chocolate river and all this stuff. And then you see behind the scenes, uh, the that his friends who are also indentured servitudes in the uh, indentured servants in the laundromat that they're you know working the mechanics behind the scenes to make all that work that that it's tricking your imagination that scene is believing and that's uh, I think the message that dreams do come true because scene is believing it almost reminds me um in some ways, maybe it's just because we just read it in, in, in Torah, but of the Joseph story and the Joseph narrative of refusing to let any barrier get in his way from making his dreams come true um, and, and becoming the hero in his own story. Right. I, I think that there's an, an element of it that's also saying dreams come true um, for the good, right? Like, so, you know, goodness altruism is rewarded um, and that greed is ultimately ultimately gets its comeuppance uh, and that you know that that was certainly present in in this Wonka and was a, basically the the point or the message of the uh, of of the Gene Wilder version um, was you know that that Charlie ultimately uh, inherits the factory uh, because he returns the gobstopper, right? He, you know, so shines a, a good deed in a weary world, right? He's the only one who is willing to give up on his greed um, in order to do the right thing. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and so you have that in this one too, that all of the, you know, uh, greedy and corrupt people in the city, the cartel. Right. They're, 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 they're um, corrupt and taking advantage and trying to make money off of those who are um, poor and, and they're, they're trying to take advantage of the most vulnerable, which and is they, actually... And they, get their, and they get their comeuppance because of it. And, you know, I, I just, that is, I, I mean, I can understand why we want to tell that story. It's a beautiful fantasy. I think it's not always accurate reality. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, we, we see in our culture, we see in our politics that um, uh, that uh, it, it it sometimes uh, appears that if you are, you know, wealthy and powerful enough um, and flagrant enough in your um, in, in your in your greed and avarice um, that no consequence can touch you and you can, you know, ascend as high as you uh, possibly can and that the good people are suckers. 
No, but um, it's like, but it, but it is. If we look at the, the realities of capitalism in the world that we live in, when you have like Jeff Bezos paying zero dollars in taxes in, right. in, in a year, um, and you have those who are working class struggling to make ends right. meet, and their tax not and their tax dollars are increasing, that doesn't make sense, right? When when you you had Trump who was giving tax breaks for the one percent. Um, and then you have to increase taxes for everybody else as a result. That doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Uh, you know, so we, we do have in our world, uh, um, you know, something that the rabbis of the Talmud uh, observed, you know, very starkly, right? Rashav tovlo tzaddik viralo, that there are evil people who uh, experience good and good people who experience bad in their lives. And, we, and there isn't always uh, a, 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 a clear relationship between uh, goodness and success uh, and evil and failure. Um, sometimes that happens, but often it, it doesn't. We, you know, the, the universe is in some ways, or the world in which we live is in some ways um, uh, amoral, uh, and, uh, and, and, and evil is sometimes... Um, if not rewarded, uh, profitable, uh, uh, right. then, uh, and, uh, and so, um, so what, cause I, and I think that, you know, the, the Jewish tradition tries to wrestle with that question a, a lot. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes saying, well, you know, uh, um, the, you know, evils rewarded in this world um, uh, so that they, you know, get a taste of, of good uh, that will be offset by, you know, uh, eternal punishment. Uh, and that uh, the the righteous are punished for their transgressions in this world. That's why they suffer so that they are, you know, free and clear for uh, eternal reward. Um, that's one way that uh, that the rabbinic tradition tries to deal with this problem. But, uh, but you know, in, in the wake of the Holocaust, we, you know, we, we, we continue to wrestle with this problem. With modern events in Israel, we continue to wrestle with this uh, uh, challenge of, um, of, of, of evil not seeming to always get its comeuppance and, and on the contrary, uh, it's seeming to be uh, sometimes uh, profitable. So I'm wondering, Jesse, like, how, how do you uh, think about that or or be in conversation with Wonka uh, from a Jewish perspective, uh, given that reality? Yeah, I, I think this is the, right, Timothy Chalamet's Willy Wonka is idealistic in nature. Uh, and this story tells uh, the idealistic version of the world that we believe in, even if we know it's not the reality. That if you work hard, if you do what is right, then you will succeed. Right? We struggle with that because we know that's not the reality. Right? We we know the reality of theodicy. We know that bad things happen to good people. Uh, and as you said, we know that sometimes the greedy get richer. Um, however. I think what this movie is really telling us is two things. One, it tells us the importance of taking care of the most vulnerable, which Torah tells us, right? Torah tells us uh, simultaneously juxtaposed three verses apart that there shall be no needy among you. But then it also tells us um, as long as there are those who are needy, you should not close your hand in your heart to them. Um, they are two simultaneous tasks. Uh, it, it's an understanding that one is a reality that we strive for, but we also know maybe unachievable. Um, but 
until we reach that goal, we have to make sure that we provide for those who are more vulnerable rather than taking advantage of them. Uh, Barbanel made, makes a very interesting comment on, on chapter 15 of Deuteronomy when he talks about the importance of giving to those in need. He says you do it for three reasons. One is you express mercy for the poor. Two, you recognize that those who are poor as your brother. And three, to commit to sustaining community as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. To I think that looking at the third one first, it's understanding that those who are, that, that our community is made up of everyone, right? Not just uh, those on one side of town, right? Not just those in a certain zip code, not just those in a certain tax bracket, um, but everyone. And we have to sustain all in community. Um, the second one is equally important, right? To understand the poor person as your family member, right? To to say that they are no different than us, that they were once us. And that is what this movie does, right? The reason why Willy Wonka ends up choosing Charlie is because he was once Charlie. And that's not clear in the book. That's not clear in the film. And that's what the prequel successfully does is it reminds us that, um, even if it doesn't happen, right? Even if the Joseph story doesn't play out, right? That our dreams aren't always fulfilled. We should never stop dreaming and we should always look to reward those who strive to do good over those who are corrupt. Yeah, um, I think that that's, I think that's right. Uh, you know, I think our that, uh, that the Jewish tradition would say, you know, listen, there may not be a direct uh, reward for uh, for for altruism, uh, goodness, kindness, uh, the pursuit of justice in in the world, the reward is uh, uh, corporate and aggregate, right? That we that we do these things uh, first because they benefit other people um, uh, and not only ourselves, because it is a way to live with integrity uh, and um, and and a sense of um, satisfaction with who we are. Uh, and I think that we see that in the movie too, that the people who are uh, engaged in these exploitative practices um, uh, struggle with it. When you see that, you know, kind of played out externally with Keegan-Michael Key's uh, police chief character, uh, that's, that's you know, played out. Uh, he's- uh, uh, it's, he, it's played he, out humorously, but it shows the level of corruption in society. Right. And it shows, and it shows how uh, there are intrinsic consequences to certain kinds of, uh, negative uh, uh, and oppressive, exploitative uh, and uh, greedy behaviors. Um, so that that does exist, you know. So like, uh, for ex- Donald Trump may never go to jail for the crimes for which he's accused, um, but I have to believe there there is some amount of inner turmoil that he lives with um, that is harmful to him. He does not appear from the outside looking in to be a a healthy, well-adjusted person. Um, and that I, I, because all human beings are not all that different. I have to imagine that there, there is, there is some inkling of a conscience even within him, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that makes life difficult for him psychologically internally. So I think that that is true, but I think that the corporate aggregate longer term, uh, picture is that if we, do the kinds of things that the tradition calls us to do, that the tradition recognizes as 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 righteous. Uh, if we engage in those kind of behaviors, if we pursue justice, if we pursue peace, then ultimately we will succeed in creating a world in which 
uh, greed does not triumph over need, uh, as the movie continually uh, says, in which uh, everyone uh, has enough, everybody is uh, uh, protected and cared for and uh, and at peace, all may dwell under their vine leaf and fig tree with none to terrify them, right? Um, you know, right now, you know, you maybe have an image of uh, uh, the wolf lying down with the lamb, but the lamb's not getting any sleep, right? But Isaiah says, eventually, the prophet Isaiah says, eventually the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Um, that there will be a time, if we pursue it, uh, that, uh, that that this kind of world uh, is possible. But uh, we may not experience the direct benefit of those things immediately. We're looking at a, a longer game. Yeah, I, I think all of that um, is is spot on. Um, Mike, can I ask you how we are supposed to grapple with this uh, IP, right? That you said you loved, your kids loved, um, knowing that the creator, uh, Rodal, um, was quite the anti-Semite and... Um, what our complicated history uh, relationship with uh, Willy Wonka, who's a beloved character, or James and the Giant Peach, or the BFG, or Matilda, or all these uh, you know other stories that came to life should be. It's a it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that uh, I've, I've uh, I don't think that there's a simple calculus for how to determine uh, whether. Uh, an you know an artist uh, should be persona non grata or or canceled, however you want to use the terminology. If we you know ought not uh, consume their art because of their beliefs or behaviors, uh, um, and it's even more complicated when the individual is no longer alive, um, as is the case with Roald Abdal. Um, and it it sometimes comes down to a calculus of you know how important. Uh, is that work of art to you um, and how grievous are the per person's crimes um, and, and navigating, you know, that algorithm uh, for, for oneself. Um, uh, Deborah Lipstadt, uh, uh, the, now the anti-Semitism envoy for the, uh, for the uh, Biden administration, but uh, um, probably the leading uh, scholar of anti-Semitism yeah. in the world or, or, or one of them. Uh, I heard her speak um, a, a couple of years ago and she addressed Roald Dahl and she said, well, you know, we, we solve this problem by, you know, only checking his books out from the library right? and never, uh, never actually purchasing uh, the books. Um, and I think that there may be a, uh, a connection between that um, and, you know, and going to see a movie that sort of like indirectly benefits uh, the estate of Roald Dahl, uh, but isn't necessarily an endorsement of, of who he is as a person, right? is an endorsement of the, of the work, but not necessarily of the artist. Um, uh, I, I think that it's important, uh, even and especially if we are going to continue consuming the art of Roald Dahl, which is, I think, justifiably beloved by a lot of people. Um, you know, I loved Roald Dahl books growing up without any awareness of uh, of, of his you know personal views and, and uh, predilections. Um, but it's important, I think, uh, maybe especially if we're going to consume his work, to uh, to continue. Uh, unearthing and, and holding to the light um, uh, who he was as a person um, to at least not make it uncomplicated uh, to, uh, to to consume those works and also to evaluate them through the lens of his uh, of his own biography, right? Um, you know, is is there uh, uh, can can we read an anti-Semitic subtext 
in works like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Maybe well, well, uh, apparently that there was quite that, that there was some racist and misogynistic content in many of his stories. And um, uh, Stephen Roxburgh, who is his longtime editor, was noted that he was credited for cutting out much of that racist and misogynistic content uh, so that it could be published and more successful to a wider audience. Right. So how do you relate to this, Jesse? Um. I will note that uh, his family um, and his company, the Rodol Story Company, um, has apologized greatly for his anti-Semitism. Um, part of that is because they writes um, have a deal with Netflix going back to 2018 for one billion dollars for the rights uh, to 16 of his works. Uh, that Netflix is is uh, turning into uh, animated uh, series and that sort of thing. But I, I think his children and children's children shouldn't be held liable for his own actions. I think that that's very important, right? When we talk about how we create a more peaceful world, that children should not be guilty for the actions of their parents. Um and I also that's, think that's that. Can I just can I just uh, um, interrupt for a second? And say that that feels fair, um, but less fair if your major source of income is the work of your parents. That that is absolutely true, and that is fair. Um, I, I think that that is one hundred percent fair. Um, that being said, I do think. Um, in light of, you know, th this all came about with um, Roald Dahl, it's no different than J.K. Rowling, right? J.K. Rowling, um, who I would say is the most successful child author of the 21st century, um, ha has really turned into a fierce uh, transphobe. Uh, and has said some really disturbing things that are transphobic, has really hurt the LGBTQ community. Um, and similarly, do we not watch Harry Potter films? Do we not go to Harry Potter land at Universal? Do we not read the Harry Potter books? Um, that to me feels more pressing because she is alive than what we do with the IP of Rodol, who is no longer living, that it doesn't right. benefit him the same way. Well, it's also, you know, it's also really challenging because, um, uh, I mean, obviously there, you know, uh, words do hurt. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, just having, it's, it's not as simple to say, well, you know, uh, a person has views or even expresses views and they're not, you know, there's a difference between words and actions because as you said, for JK Rowling, she has said things that had you know, that, that that contribute to a lot of pain and suffering uh, for uh, a lot of people, which is true of Roald Dahl too. But I do think that there is, uh, you know, certainly a difference between, you know, somebody who has, uh, who, who either harbors internally or expresses externally uh, 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 distasteful uh, views, morally abhorrent views, um, and somebody who, you know, commits violent crimes crimes, right, is an un unrepentant sinner. Um, and so I think that that is uh, um, a, 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 a distinction that may be worth considering, right? Is there a gradient of the of the actual crimes that we're talking about here? Is there a, a scale? Uh, and and the other 
uh, and the other question, uh, or the other, I don't know, consideration I would have is, um, I know a lot of Harry Potter fans who who say this about J.K. Rowling, especially uh, those in the in, in the uh, LGBT community. Um, they say, you know, hasn't she done enough that, uh, uh, in other words, like, hasn't she done enough bad <laughs> that uh, that that we shouldn't compound on that her taking away Harry Potter from us? Right. So like she's already put it out in the world. This is ours now, even if consuming it is going to benefit her in some way. Um, like it's uh, it, it it compounds the pain on us to take that beloved work away. And we might be able to say the same for all doll. Right. It, isn't it enough that he was an anti-Semite that we don't have to hurt ourselves doubly by not being able to enjoy these really beloved stories? That's interesting that if. Right. At what point does something become um, intellectual uh, property? And, and at what point, right, does it become uh, the property of the audience, the property of the audience and um, to take away Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, to take away Willy Wonka, um, to take away Matilda, to take away James the Giant Peach, to take away all these things from children, um, it doesn't hurt Roald Dahl, he's no longer living, may it just hurt uh, those who dream, right? The the uh, I will give credit, right? Warner Brothers successfully turned this prequel into a story about dreamers, right? They had um, taken away from his racist comments, they had people of color both in leading roles right. uh, and um, in, in roles of success and power in, in the film, um, and I think that there's a lot to that. That how do you reinterpret a story and shut down past bigotry um, in your reinterpretation of the story for the betterment of all? Well, that that I think is is you know something profoundly Jewish, right? Because I, I think that. Uh... I might get in trouble for for saying this uh, if uh, if someone's listening, but for for those of us who believe that the Torah was written by human beings, um, uh, whether divinely inspired, however you want to understand that, right? I think it's what, pretty what clear. Conservative Judaism believes yeah. so, and I think it's pretty clear from a uh, from a, uh, a an honest reading of the Torah that its authors uh, harbored uh, some what we would call racist genocidal even, uh, misogynistic for sure, patriarchal uh, views. Uh, they didn't just harbor them internally, they expressed them there on the page, right? And so, but this is our inheritance. And so the question is, you know, do we reject it because its authors believed these things? Um, uh, or do we love it despite those things um, and grapple with those realities? Do we take it and make it ours and reinterpret it in light of its better angels? Um, which is, you know, I think what you're saying uh, the filmmakers did with this version of Wonka is they reinterpreted the the, the text in light of the better angels of the text um, and, uh, and and made the story um, arguably better or at least more palatable, more uplifting because of it. I think that that is um, the, the, the question that we as rabbis grapple with uh, in, in modern times and that we, I think, want to encourage um, uh, uh, Jewish people, uh, whatever their background, um, to to wrestle and grapple with, not to say, well, you know, uh, this this text 
is uh, you know uh, is is uh, is is beyond repair uh, because of these views, right? Not to totally jettison and set it aside, but to hold that intention with all of the um, extraordinary uh, beauty and richness and positivity of the text, um, and to know that for you know for its bad and for its good, it's ours now, not the people who wrote it anymore. It doesn't belong to them anymore. It belongs to us, and it's ours to make of it what we're going to make of it. Right. Yeah. That's what the Talmud says, Loba he, right? The Torah is given. And once it's given, it belongs to the people who own it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, also, uh, the, you know, for what it's worth, the Board of Deputies of British Jews, uh, which my understanding, I don't know so much about the, the uh, Jewish community in the UK, but I think that that is the equivalent of like UJA Federation, you know, in North America. Um when Rodol's family came out with an apology, which uh, was back in 2020 for his anti-Semitism, um, they said that this apology should have happened a long time ago, um, that his anti-Semitic prejudices were no secret. It's tarnished his legacy. But what they also say that when you teach his books, it's not saying you don't teach his books. You teach his books and you learn about his intolerant views of the author when you teach his stories. And um, I, I think that that is a nice solution. It's not taking away the stories from the audience, but it's also making sure that um, his legacy remains tarnished as it deserves to be. That's interesting. Uh, the other thing I, I want to just point out about this, because you brought it up now several times, is uh, the the prominence of imagination and, and dreaming in the movie, I think, is is really powerful. Um, uh, it's it's present, of course, in the original uh, uh, in the original story and in the Gene Wilder uh, uh, version. Um, but it's very it's it's a it's it's you know turned from subtext to major theme here. I've been thinking a lot lately about. Um, the role of imagination in the pursuit of a of a just society, um, and, and I think that that's something very present in our tradition. I think you named it when you talk about the Joseph story, the the presence and role of dreams. Um, as I study deeply about uh, Nevi'im, the, the the Hebrew prophets, um, I, I see so often that in a part of what drives their you know social criticism, which is sometimes very harsh. Um, is their vision of what a uh, a perfected world, a just society would look like, and holding the world as it is in contrast with with uh, with with that ideal? Um, and it's that ideal that drives them. It's that ideal that we're, that's called to drive us um, as as Jews. We're 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 trying to make real something that we are uh, that that only exists in our imagination, but also that if we can imagine it, that it is. Possible, right? As Theodore Herzl famously said, "Im tirzu enzo agada," um, that if you uh, that if you want to make it happen, uh, that it doesn't have to be a fantasy. And right, I want to since we started off by acknowledging that this was a musical, as a Gene Wilder film was musical. This movie ends with the song "Pure Imagination," which was originally sung by Gene Wilder in uh, the the initial film. Right? Listen to the words. If you want to view paradise, I don't sound like uh, Gene Wilder or Timothy Chalamet. Simply look Can around. Can we just stop for a second it? and say, I feel personally attacked by the talent uh, uh, combined with good looks of a Timothy Chalamet. Um, you know, when Ryan Gosling sings and dances on screen, it, it feels like a personal attack. Same with Tim Timothy Chalamet. I just want to put that out there for the record. 
I, I, I appreciate that. Um, nobody should, you, sh- you shouldn't worry because uh, your good looks um, are just fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. Your, your, your voice. Well, anyway, so you're is, saying, is, right, is so the, words, the words of the song. Uh, the words of the song. Uh, if you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. Uh, and that is the beauty of this story, right? The beauty of the story is to believe change is possible. And that's what I think you were getting at when we talk about building a more just society. When we talk about uh, the teachings of the Nevi'im of the prophets. It's about believing change is possible. So often we don't work to do change because we don't believe change is possible. And if we believe change is possible, then all of a sudden we're able to make that change. Right. And so that that speaks to the relationship between uh, imagination, uh, hope and action. Right. Yes. That, 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 that hope is uh, believing that that better future is possible and we can actually make it come uh, make it come to be um, if we if we uh, believe in it enough, um, which I think is a really powerful and deeply Jewish message um you know against Roald Dahl's wishes perhaps but uh but a deeply Jewish message nonetheless absolutely well we want to know what you thought of Wonka what you think of Roald Dahl what you think of uh the Gene Wilder version the uh Johnny Depp version and now the uh Chalamet version every generation gets its Wonka uh and we want to know what you thought of this one and all of them uh, and the conversation today uh until next time I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf And I am his Oompa Loompa. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Take care, everyone.